This Week at Hope Point. So Psalm 119 lets me know there's a lot more about God that I've never experienced. As a matter of fact, Psalm 119 says to me, the best thing I can do for my lack of knowledge of God is to pray for more knowledge of God. This is one of the best prayers you could ever pray. Psalm 119 verse 18, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. The starting place for all of life change is to pray. God, help me love your Bible. Help me read it and help me be changed as I read it. That's what he's praying there. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. The British pastor, he wrote to many of us who teach the Bible, Charles Spurgeon said that his favorite book and he's ever read was Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. He said he read it a hundred times in his life. Now, this is a remarkable statement because Spurgeon was known for his love for the Bible, yet he loved Pilgrim's Progress second. And the reason that he did is because in the 175 pages of, of Pilgrim's Progress, there are 600 references to Scripture. So to read Pilgrim's Progress is like to read the Bible. Spurgeon used to say that you could cut Bunyan anywhere you wanted to and he's going to bleed Bible. Uh, so if there's a man in the world that loved the Bible more than John Bunyan, I'm going to say it's the writer of Psalm 119. We're going to spend a couple weeks there taking a break next week, of course, for the celebration. But Psalm 119 is an interesting the most interesting of all the Psalms, the book of Psalms is like in the middle of your Bible, you know, the book of Psalms has 150 different Psalms, 150 chapters. Well, Psalm 119 is the longest of all of the 150 Psalms, and it has 176 verses. So it's making it the longest chapter, not in the Psalms, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. And the only way to describe it is it's an eruption of joy by a man who says, oh, thank you, God, that I know how to love you more because of what you've written in your word. It's a fire hydrant of praise over the words of God throughout the 176 verses of Psalm 119. He's, he views God like a meal that he never wants to stop eating like a song he never wants to stop hearing, uh, like a sunset he never wants to stop seeing. Here's his, one of many ways he expresses his delight in the Bible. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver or gold. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste. It's sweeter than honey to my mouth. That's just five verses. There are seven more that use the word delight I didn't read. So the, the happiest people I've ever met in my life, the most hopeful, the most content, the most selfless people I've ever met in my life are people who meditate on the Bible a lot. And they love God by reading and applying his word to their life. It's, reading the Bible is the most relevant and helpful thing you can do with any part of your day. 
And, and boy, do you have a lot of choices there with what you're going to do with your day. Beginning in the morning, I know that like me, you, you, you have a, I had, thought I had my phone with me. It's that thing, that phone, like, all right, I, so close by, I could check an email, check the news, read a, a blog, a Facebook post. But when we do things like that, when we read something in the morning or whenever, you know, if you get up for another shift and it's not the Bible, what you're saying is that thing that I just read is more helpful to me than the Bible. It's uh, a glimpse of that news is better than a glimpse of God. So let me say it once again. The Bible is the most relevant and most helpful thing you can do with your day. And I'll share with you later in, in this sermon a little bit, messages to come of in Psalm 119, why it's so helpful. But I just right now want to just marvel at this man's love and delight in God. He, he, you don't meet many people like him. He's delighting in God for the, for the word. And, you know, you could sort of protect your ego and, you know, like be offended and say, well... That's, that's, not a real, that's not a real guy and living in a real world with real problems. He's just a poet. They're supposed to write like that. Listen, we're going to see in weeks to come, the majority of the 176 verses in Psalm 119 are written about his problems, his pain. He's a very real man with very real problems. He just has found that the best source, the best answer for dealing with all of life is a word from God. I wish I had this man's zeal for the Lord. I don't. I wish I had this man's zeal for the Bible. I don't. But that doesn't intimidate me. It gives me a goal. I see the bar is higher now than, a, than it used to be. This is what I can aim at. Psalm 119 causes me to know what I don't know. It's... Uh, Someone 19 reveals to me that I'm like a, a child who's going with his parents to the beach and plays all week in a pool, not knowing behind the dunes is the ocean. So someone 19 lets me know there's a lot more about God that I've never experienced. As a matter of fact, someone 19 says to me, the best thing I can do for my lack of knowledge of God is to pray for more knowledge of God. This is one of the best prayers you can ever pray. Psalm 119, verse 18, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. The starting place for all of life change is to pray. God, help me love your Bible. Help me read it and help me be changed as I read it. That's what he's praying there. You know, you're not going to see the word Bible in any of the verses in Psalm 176. Uh, what you're going to see is uh, words like law, command, promise, statutes, uh, but they're all the same thing. If he were writing today, speaking today, he would say, Bible, scripture. Anytime he says these words, he's talking about the revealed truth of God that got recorded in, in a book that's where there's writing. That's what he means by all of those, those words. Um, I do laugh on when I think about 176 verses, you know, like I said, it's, a, it's, a, it's the most interesting of all the Psalms. And 
when you think about 176 verses, and we'll touch on all of them today, and we'll really touch on all of them every week. I, I laugh sort of those churches that where the pastor, when he's about to you know, tell the church what he's preaching on, says, would you stand with me for the reading of the Word of God? Well, that would be pretty difficult today if I were to read all 176 verses of Psalm 119. But it's, it's glorious. It's, it's an interesting uh, layout. It, all 176 verses, they're laid out into 22 different sections. There's a reason for that because there's 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And there's eight verses in each of the 22 sections. And all of the verses in like, sec this is like section one. So you would obviously expect to see the first letter of the Hebrew al alphabet, al uh, Aleph. And so you can't see it in English, but it is in Hebrew. Every one of the eight verses in section one begins with Aleph. And then you go to section two, and, and there you have the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and that would be Bet. And so all eight verses in section two in Hebrew begin with the, the Hebrew letter, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Bet, and so on with the third, and you see Gimel, the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and and so on. So the first question to ask when we're looking at Psalm 119 is, why does this man want to know God so much more through the reading of the Bible? Why does he say this is the great goal in life to know more of God? He answers that in verse 73. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. So there's the objective reason for all of Psalm 119, for his delight. I owe you everything, God, because you formed me. I, I am nothing. I have nothing apart from you. Like, I'm on this stage in life, and I might have a small part. I might have a big part. It doesn't matter. But for every ability I have to think a process out to reason and then to communicate and then do. All of that is because behind the stage is the unseen, invisible, very real creator of the world that makes all success and achievement possible. He said, this is why I want to know God. Because I owe him Everything, everything I enjoy, everything I accomplish is made possible because God is behind the scenes energizing and organizing the world. And, you know, when you, when you talk about your hands made me and formed me, it's amazing when you stop and think, and I, I just want to, this is a little dangerous for me because I'm going into science not my forte, but it is my passion to know a little bit more than I did when I was in, in fourth grade. So maybe this is like a fourth grade level of science, so just because it helps your worship. So you know that really the, the whole world is made up of, of, of atoms. It's like the smallest thing. So inside an atom, obviously, it has a nucleus of protons that have a positive charge, neutrons, no charge, surrounded by... An, Surrounding the nucleus are electrons and they're flying around and the way that these protons and neutrons are arranged and the electrons are flying around gives these abilities of these atoms to stick together, to come together, to form um, molecules. 
So when you get two hydrogen atoms and you've got this, and they form together, called cohesion, they form together because of all that stuff inside spinning around. And they form together to form that, that molecule that's a water molecule made up of atoms. And the interesting thing about the hydrogen bond is so strong in this water molecule is it has the ability to hold things that are really more dense than, than the water itself. Like it can hold up a cargo ship which brings three quarters of all the goods we use here in this country and it's held up by water molecules that are made up of atoms. This is why the psalmist says, I want to know God. I owe him everything. You talk about a supply chain problem. If we didn't have water, didn't have an oxygen atom and a hydrogen atom. This is why the, the psalmist is so excited. And you think about water just all over the earth. You know, 71% of the, of the whole planet is water. And praise God, it doesn't stay in the same place. With the water cycle, it's, one day it's in the ocean, then the sun evaporates it, puts it in clouds, and the clouds are blown by the wind over the land. It dumps it into rivers, and, and then we water uh, our farmland with it, and it grows agriculture, and the cows eat that, and then we eat the cows. Or if you don't do that, at least you eat the vegetation. But the bottom line is, once again, everything that keeps you alive it's happening because of water. It's made up of oxygen and hydrogen forming together to form a water, a water molecule. And then you just think about, you know, what atoms do in our body to form, to form cells. You know, like the human body, it's amazing. You may not feel very amazing today. You are amazing today. Because, you know, you know how it is, it's really the whole body, everything's it's all cellular, so you got a bunch of cells, talk about how many there are in a minute. But you know, cells, they're made up of proteins, and the proteins determine what kind of cell this is going to be. Well, inside the protein are amino acids, and the amino acids are made up of things like hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, sometimes sulfur, atoms. And they tell the amino acid, or they make up the amino acid, then the amino acid tells, because of the combination of those four things, what kind of protein that's going to be. And that protein tells that cell that it might be a red blood cell. All because of atoms. And inside, like particularly like a red blood cell, you got this protein called hemoglobin, and it's the protein that takes oxygen from the lungs and distributes it to your body. That's why you're alive right now. Whew. And so that's why the psalmist is, is so excited. He probably didn't know this, but we do, that inside this human body, 200 different types of cells, like bone cells, blood cells, and then cells that go to your lungs, make lungs, cells that make your brain. And those proteins are telling those cells what they're going to be when that little baby's forming. And we have 30 trillion total cells in our body. 
little machines. And the only reason that everything is working right or working enough, (laughs) working enough for you today is because those 30 trillion little machines are running well. And this is why the psalmist says, well, let me just say this. Everything you ever touch or feel on, in this world, it's basically, we call it matter. It can be touched. It's matter. You can't touch light, so it's not matter. But everything basically on earth, your bones, your brain, your lungs, your clothes, the table you'll sit at today and the food that'll be on that table Water on the planet, stars in the sky, planets revolving around the sun. It's all a bunch of matter made up eventually of atoms. That's why the psalmist says, your hands made me. And that's why I want to know you. More than anything else, I want to know the God who made atoms and molecules, amino acids and protein and bodies and oceans and clouds and galaxies. You know, when you read Psalm 119, you you might feel like his emotions are a little extreme. I mean, he wrote 176 verses on the Bible, why he loves the Bible. I don't think I could do that. I think, if I, you say, write 176 verses on something, it might sound a little like, like, like I'm whiny. Like 176 verses of what I'm, my problems. He wrote 176 verses of delight about the Bible. And I think the reason that we, we struggle with delighting is you, about this very concept is, like we look at it and say, it's, we, our busyness makes us say, this is no big deal. Like, it's no big deal that God made atoms and molecules and matter. They say it's no big deal that in the Old Testament, God provided for his people Israel for 40 years by, met every need by the way he arranged matter, like food, to come to them. He protected them by moving matter, i.e. the Red Sea. Then in the New Testament, the invisible God indwelled a a human body made of matter so that that body could be nailed to a cross where we could transfer our sins to Christ because he had a body. And then we look at in the Revelation where we will... Go back to in the fall and we'll see that the whole world, one day God's going to burn up all matter in the end and replace it with new matter, new heaven and new earth. And somehow we get to the point of saying that's not a big deal. And that's why we don't read the Bible. I don't want to know that God anymore. Well, this man did. He marveled at God that was the first reason they wanted to pursue God is because uh, he designed everything. And I want to know the designer. That's what he said. I just want to know the God who designed this body. This Second reason is since God designed everything, 
I want to know what the designer says is right. That's the second reason he loves the Bible. It tells us this. Psalm 119, 138, the statutes you have laid down are righteous. They're fully trustworthy. Your righteousness is everlasting and your law is, is true. And that's just six, that's just a few verses. There are dozens saying the same thing. I love your laws because they're righteous. I want to know what's right. I want to know what's true. You know, I could ask you this today. If you ask somebody their opinion about something on a horizontal level, not even a Bible level, but horizontally, just earth, you say, yeah, I would prefer they tell me what is true instead of what is false. You want somebody to tell you the truth. So I know that we love truth from that level. I mean, like, if, let's say you had a friend that said, you need to take your family out to Phoenix, Arizona and go to the Jungle Paradise Water Park. It's the best thing you've ever done. So you get on an airplane, you take your four kids out to the Jungle Paradise Water Park and you, you, you rent a car and you drive up to the gate and it's, the parking lot's full of weeds and you look through the fence that's locked and there's rusty dinosaurs and all the slides have no water on them. You call your friend and you say, well, man, I, we were there last summer. I know they were hurting financially, but I, I thought sure they would... It'd be open. You say, well, that's absurd. And it sort of is. But it makes the point that when we spend our, like we would be disappointed if we asked somebody on a horizontal level, tell me what is right and what is true. And their answer is not right and not true. It's costly. And I just gave you sort of an absurd little example. But what our culture is doing now is asking each other, what is true and what is right when God has told us in Psalm 119 and all the Bible what is true and what is right. We're trading his revelation of what is right for the opinion of others and then you get to the end of your trip on earth and you find out that what people have said is not true and not right and at that level it really is costly. So when you think about, this is why the psalmist loves it. He says, okay, God, if you're the designer, this is why the psalmist loved the Bible. If you're the designer of everything, I owe you everything and I want to know what you say is right. What is the right way for me to live? What is true? Because I want to honor you by whatever is true. I want to believe what is true. I want to live what is true. So I want to tell you today that the psalmist loves the Bible because it is the one place in the world where the truth about God is perfectly revealed. I'll say that again. The psalmist loved the Bible because it's the one place in the world where the truth about God is perfectly revealed. And you say, well, how, how do you know that? Well, it is by faith. So I can leave that right there. But there are seven reasons I would say Seven helps that undergird your faith. We don't have time to look at them today. Later. But I'll just tell you, these are seven things that help me know the Bible's true. Science. Other religions. Prophecy. Archaeology. Moral law. Jesus. And experience. We'll look at those at another time, but right now I just want to go back and say for somebody who does 
believe the Bible is true, why do they crave it so much? And the answer is because it tells them what is right about the way they should live. Your commands are true, verse 151. Seven times a day I praise you because your laws are right. If you want to know what is true and right, you go to the designer of the machine for the instructions, what is right. And, and the cool thing about the Bible is it's right every time. It's right in every generation. It's right in every circumstance. This is why the man says, this is the writer, because it doesn't change. Right doesn't change. Look what he says. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your laws endure to this day. So the Bible is firmly fixed. It never changes. The goalposts never move with God. Culture changes all the time, yet the needs of culture never change, and the answer for culture never changes. It's always what it's always been. The Bible, it's never out of date. It never wears out. It never becomes less effective. It's always perfect for the need you have. You know, you can hear people trying to avoid the Bible as a place to find truth, especially nowadays, a current little fad, little phrase is, well, you know, this is what y'all do on Sunday. That's your truth. But what we do out there on my campus, my workplace is my truth. So people try to avoid the truth of scripture by, by talking about this new thing called my truth, which is different than truth. So they say, and maybe this began probably Momentum started 2018, Golden Globe Awards. Oprah was given the uh, award for lifetime achievement. This is what she said in accepting it. What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we have. Not God's truth, not the truth, your truth. So somewhere between 2018 and now, that has just become an avalanche of, in our language. Um, so what do people, when they use that phrase, your truth or my truth, what do they, what do they really mean by that? What do they mean is they mean that they are the primary source of truth. You hear somebody say my truth, they mean that God has not revealed truth. That's what they believe. God's not revealed truth. We're the source of truth. That philosophy causes you to question every authority uh, in your life, unless that authority happens to validate your truth. So you, well, one writer says it this way, institutions now exist to merely affirm us, not to form us. If you live by that phrase, my truth, your truth, whatever, it's, it's a lonely life because in seeking people to validate what you have now decided is true, you have to eliminate so many people in your life that used to be in your life, like your family that might challenge your truth or your church might challenge your truth. 
And your circle that you can hang around gets smaller and smaller and turns to be a very lonely life. And it's not just a lonely life. It's not just a deceptive life. But it could be a very destructive life. Let's say if a man, a married man, wants to have an intimate relationship with another woman, he can say, he could justify that by saying, it's not wrong to do that according to my truth. It's destructive. It could be deadly to live by my truth. I don't know if you saw this week, a young man named Nasrat Ahmad Yar. Um, he was an interpreter for U.S. Special Forces in Afghanistan for 10 years. Risked his life every day for our men and women and their attempts to fight that war. So he survived that, survived war in Afghanistan for 10 years. That's a big deal. When we pulled out a few years ago, he immigrated with his family to the U.S., uh, living in Virginia. This week, he was working in Washington, D.C. Uh, he's a rideshare driver, like Lyft, a Lyft driver. He was working an extra shift Monday night, and shortly after midnight, four guys the gang attempted to rob him. And in the midst of that robbery, they killed him. He's a husband. He's a father of four, ages 13 months to, 15 months to 13 years. Do you know why they killed him? Because of course, this is why these four guys did it. If you have my truth, you don't have to work. You just rob people. And in robbing people, you kill them. Because your truth says you can. Living by my truth, your truth, is deadly. You know, if the world is still around 200 years from now and all historians gather together, begin to write, why did the great nation of America fall? It's not going to be because we fell because of some external threat against us. It's because we imploded morally. Because we have become a nation full of people that have started believing that anything can be true if I want it to be true. Anything can be right if I want it to be right. We're the most blessed nation that has ever lived. And we're becoming the most insane nation that has ever existed because we are determined to invent lies and then believe them. When God has already told us what is true, we want to invent new truth. People try to change the truth nowadays by changing the meaning of words because if you can change the meaning of words, then you don't have to change. You know, my truth, my, living by that, living by my truth, your truth, only works 
if you never run into an authority that's greater than you that will tell you that your truth is not true. He said, what do you mean by that? Well, let's say you're filling out your taxes and you write off your you write three kids as exemptions. And uh, so then you get audited and the IRS agent comes and says, well, you, I see that you're claiming three children as exemptions and well, your children are uh, 30, 34, and 38. He said, well... We FaceTime them every day so that basically they still live with us and that's my truth. So how well do you think that's going to go? Well, it's not going to go well because when you run into an authority that's greater than you, your truth proves to be false. Let's say you're riding in a car at 75 miles an hour. The speed limit is 55 miles an hour. The officer pulls you over. He says, did you know you were speeding? No, officer, I was not speeding. My speedometer is broken, and I feel like I was doing 55. And that's my truth. Then he holds up a radar gun, which is the truth. So you see, living by my truth, your truth, whatever, only works until you have a meeting with an authority that's greater than you. And one day God will hold everybody accountable to his truth, not our truth. We can choose what we want to do with truth. Uh, we can adjust our lives to truth but we can't ever create new truth. Can't invent new truth. There's no such thing. God has already given truth. It's in the Bible. This is why the psalmist loves the Bible. He loves the Bible because everything he has has come from God. And because of that, he wants to know what is right and what is true. And God has told us what is right and true in the Bible. And look how much he loves knowing that. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. This guy loves knowing. He loves finding out what is, listen, this is huge. He loves finding out what is right. There's a lot of people that will read their Bible and say, well, you know, I don't really like this part of the Bible. I don't really like this part of God, but I'll believe it if I have to. Like, like it's bad tasting medicine. That you, like people are like, I don't want to take this medicine, but if it'll heal me, I'll take it. That's how people, like, I don't like to hear about election. God's electing grace that saves people as he wishes. Undeserving people. I don't like hearing about the only way to salvation is through Christ. I don't like hearing God's standards of sexuality or what we ought to do with money or that we should forgive enemies. This guy said, I love hearing this. Because it's true. And God would never tell me anything except that which is best for me. He says, to know the truth is like tasting honey. I want to end with this thought. Loving the Bible really is loving Jesus. That's why you're hungry for the Bible, is you're hungry for Jesus. That's what's happening in Psalm 119. He's really loving a person. He's not loving black print on white page. Take it to the New Testament. This is how it sounds. I, Paul says 
to the church of Colossae, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, for those at Laodicea. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So where is all the truth of the universe? It's packed in Jesus. That's, that's where all knowledge, all wisdom is found. It's in Christ. And, and when he calls him a mystery, like it's not a mystery like God's playing games with us. It's a mystery like you're not going to find this until you go to this place where truth is hidden, truth is contained in Christ. You'll never know truth if you resist Jesus. It's like if a man has $10 million and puts it in Arthur State Bank, you ride by the bank, it's, it's hidden, you don't see it. But if you are a son or daughter of that man, you, you know where it is. It's very real money then. So if you go to Christ... He's, God will never hide truth from you. It's just you will not know truth until you come to God through, through Christ. So let me just say this. The quest for knowledge in Psalm 119 is a quest for Jesus because Jesus says, I am the truth. So people who are not passionate about truth are not passionate about Jesus. Truth is small to them because Jesus is small to them. Truth is not precious to them because Jesus is not precious to them. To walk with Jesus requires that you love what he loves. You're going to only know what he loves by reading the truth. On the last morning of Jesus' earthly life, he stood before a governor. It was a small, it was a very brief conversation. But Jesus told Governor Pilate, the man who had his fate in his hands, why he had come to earth. John 18, verse 37, the reason I was born, came into the world, is testified to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate, like our culture, just cynically says, huh, what's truth? We'll just change it. What is true? And there in front of him is the embodiment, all of the truth of the universe standing right in front of him makes him pretty uncomfortable face to face with truth and so he orders Jesus to be killed so he can get rid of truth and it looked like it worked when the last breath left his lungs the last drop of blood left his veins it looked like truth had died until three days later truth walked out of the tomb so for the past 21 centuries God has been sending Missionaries, preachers, like the team that just went to Honduras and have a team right there that's going Tuesday to India to tell people the truth. And God's been doing that for 21 centuries, telling people the truth of Christ in villages and towns and cities and cultures. And people react in one of two ways. They either say, that's the truth, what you just said, what you just preached, what you shared. And my life is broken, it's wrecked, it's ruined. And I yield my life to the truth of Jesus. I want to be forgiven. I want to be cleansed. I want to be saved. I receive the truth. Reaction one. Reaction two is people go and they go to Pilate and say, I want to know how to kill Jesus because I want to get rid of the truth. 
And so they try to destroy the truth, bury the truth, but then all of a sudden, three days later, truth comes up again. Maybe while they're riding in a car, trying to get to sleep at night, about to be wheeled into the operating room. And they think about end of life and truth. And they hear exactly what the apostles said in Acts chapter 4. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which, by which we must be saved. And that's the truth. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.